When um, Steve emailed me to what we're going to, what the speakers were going to talk about, um, he said we're going to do the supporting actors. I think in your email, and we'll see who deserves the Oscar, which I thought was great because I'm going to nominate Barnabas for the Oscar because I think he's absolutely a fantastic guy. He was fallible, and we will see that later on. He was fallible, but he was amazing. He's no minor character because what he did had an impact, amazing impact then, and it has an impact on us to this day. He wasn't born Barnabas. When they, he was a Jew from Cyprus. He was a Levite, which meant that he was entitled to do uh, minor tasks in the temple. So he was, had a religious background. His name was Joseph. Joseph the Levite from Cyprus. Who's ever heard of him? But he was given the name Barnabas by the apostles in Jerusalem, in the church. They gave him this name. And it means sons of encouragement. Now, I think I've mentioned this before in a different context, that when you get the word son of, it means that's what you're like. That's, it was a Hebraism. It's a kind of colloquial expression that says, this is what this person is like. So Jesus gave the name Bionages. Bionages? I can't say it properly. Anyway, he gave it to James and John, and it means sons of thunder, because they were quite fiery people. But Barnabas is sons of encouragement. And he not only was given that name, he was given that name because that's what he was like. And the first time we meet Barnabas, by the way, I'm not going to go through all the references to Barnabas because you'd run out of fingers in your Bibles or jam up your mobile phones if that's what you use to follow it. I'm going to tell the story, and then there will be some verses in the application that we will look at. Barnabas, the first time we meet him, he sells a field and brings the money to the disciples and puts it so that they can use it to help those people in need. We don't know where the field was. It might have been in Cyprus. It might have been near Jerusalem. We've no idea. All we know is that he sold this field and brought it to the feet of the disciples. And it's such an important way to start, isn't it? Sometimes if we want to be encouraging, the way is just something really practical to help people, something to do which actually works for them. I, I have a son in Australia. When I came back last year, I was four weeks away and the grass in my back of my house was up here. And dear old Doug at the back there came round with his mower and mowed it for me. Yeah, I mean, it's a, just a little thing, but it's an encouragement. And people do much greater things than that in the sense of helping people out. We can really show. And what a difference it makes when that happens. The next time we meet Barnabas is quite different. And we have to go back to tell this part of the story. In the early church, there was a wonderful leader who did amazing miracles, who preached amazingly, and his name was Stephen. But he upset the rulers and the leaders of the Jewish people because he kept on 
preaching about Jesus and proclaiming and talking about him. And they were very embarrassed because, of course, they'd put Jesus to death. They hated this. There was a trial. And at the trial, Stephen just beamed with his love of the Lord and Jesus. But they condemned him to death. They took him out in a kind of lynching and stoned him to death. And there standing watching was a man called Saul, also called Paul. And he approved and thought this was great. Yes, it's great stuff. Killing this heretic. And he, with kind of Islamic state enthusiasm and fanaticism, gets letters from the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem to go as far as Damascus and pull anyone who's a Christian and bring them back. And on the way, his life is dramatically changed when he meets Jesus. He goes into the city, he meets Ananias, who uh, baptizes him, and he preaches Jesus. And as is typical, as we will find with Paul, he starts preaching, and no sooner does he start preaching than he's in dead trouble, and people are trying to kill him. And he escapes over the wall, in a basket, they lower him down. He goes to Jerusalem and he tries to join, join the church. And guess what? They ain't keen to see him. They don't want him. What are you doing? Can we really trust you, Paul? Can we really trust you, Saul? I'm going to use both words. I can see I shall get confused. But it's the same person. Can we really trust you? Have you really changed? How do we know you're not trying to get in, to wheel your way in so that you can take us off and kill us? They refused to have him. But Barnabas goes and takes Saul and brings him to the apostles. And there he's accepted. I want you to imagine for a moment if Barnabas hadn't have done that. Where would we be today if Barnabas hadn't have gone and taken Paul and taken him to the apostles? I mean, would there be a church? Would there be a Gentile's mission? No, God can do anything. But it was God's plan to use him. No letters in our Bibles from Paul? Can you imagine it? Where would we be? But Barnabas takes him and he brings him to the apostles. It's hard, isn't it? It's a lesson for us because, you know, in so many ways we like to be with people who are like us, who we feel safe with, who we I can identify with. Um, I come from London originally and where we used to live there's a massive community of Sikhs they're all when they came to Britain they all came to Southall and to Hounslow but if you go to East London they're all Bengali because they all came from from Pakistan and they all collected together there and there's a Turkish community and there's a Jewish community and it goes on and on. We like to be together. Outsiders can be a problem. I was recently in San Francisco with 
for my son's wedding. He, he lives in America out there. And uh, he, the wedding had happened, and it was the last day of our trip there. So we thought we'd go to a place called Coit Tower. And we'd go there by bus. And when we got on the bus, um, I realized that I was, Jenny and I were the only white people on this bus. They were all Chinese. Every single person. They were reading their Chinese newspapers and all Chinese. But they, actually, they were lovely. There was a little old lady who said, oh, you want to change here on this bus and you want to get off at this stop and or get the number 34 bus to take you to the final bit. They were great. But it made me see what it felt like to be an outsider, to be an ethnic in the ethnic minority. Barnabas took Paul when he wasn't welcome and brought him in when he was a complete outsider. And it's an encouragement to us to do the same, to go beyond our comfort zone and our own type of people and to be welcoming and accepting. We need to go back a moment. When Saul was there standing there watching Stephen being persecuted, it wasn't just him. There was a great persecution took place. And people scattered, especially all the Greek-speaking uh, Jews who would become Christians. They all went away. A lot of them went home. Some went to Cyprus. Some went to Cyrene. Some went to Lebanon. And as they went, they preached the gospel. They just told people about Jesus. They just shared it. But they only shared it with Jews. And then some of them, from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to a city called Antioch, in which was then in, was the capital of, Cyprus, of Syria, the Roman province of Syria. The city itself is now in modern-day Turkey, but then it was the capital city of Syria. And it was the third greatest city in the whole Roman Empire. Rome, the best, Alexander II, Antioch III. And when they got to Antioch, they didn't just speak to Jews, they spoke to Greeks and Gentiles, in other words, as way. It was really successful. Lots of people became Christians, lots of people went on with the Lord, and the news of this came down to Jerusalem. And they thought, well, what are we going to do about this? This is new, this is different. What are we going to do? And they sent Barnabas to uh, see what was going on. And as Barnabas got to, to Antioch, he looked at what's happening, saw what was going on, and it said he saw the grace of God and was glad. He saw what God was doing. And that's true, isn't it? Sometimes, sometimes, when something happens, God can move in a great way. He can move in somewhere else. And we think, why doesn't God do that for us here? Yeah. Why? And we can be suspicious of what's happening. But Barnabas wasn't like that at all. He saw the grace of God and was glad. And it says, he encouraged them. He encouraged them to remain true to the Lord and to be wholeheartedly for Jesus. Now, where have we heard about wholeheartedly for the Lord? Just recently. 
Caleb, last well done, Ted. Caleb was wholeheartedly for the Lord. And so Barnabas urges them to be wholehearted. And it says a great number of people came to the Lord. And then Barnabas does something very strange and I think weird in some ways. He goes off to Tarsus. He leaves Antioch, goes off to Tarsus and looks for Saul. Why would he do that? You can think of it, couldn't you, in a different way. You can think, well, my ministry is going great here in Antioch. I can build a mega church and be really fantastic. But he doesn't. He goes off to Tarsus and finds Saul and brings him back. Why? Why would he do that? Did he need help? Well, there must have been lots of help in Antioch itself. But he could see that Saul had the hand of God upon him, that he had the gifts, that he had been developed, that he could be brought forward. And he goes and brings him. So in that way, he develops Saul. And this is a key thing, I think that when we see people, do we look at them to see what their potential is? How can we develop them? How can we allow them to thrive and let their gifts come forward to the full? Later in Antioch, they're in this great meeting with lots of prophets. And the Holy Spirit speaks. He says, set apart from me Barnabas and Paul for the work that I've got to do probably through one of the prophets he speaks, but he doesn't say that. It says, the Holy Spirit said, set apart Barnabas and Paul for the work that I've got to do. And the Holy Spirit sends them out. They take with them a young man as a helper called John Mark. Mark, we know him as, really. They take him with us, and they go off to Cyprus, and Paul has, especially has great lots of adventures, lots of preaching, he does miracles. They go from... Salamis in the east to Paphos in the west. They have a great time. And then they go from Paphos right up to Pamphylia. And at that point, Mark decides to, to drop out. He, he doesn't want to go any further. So he goes back to Jerusalem. But Barnabas and Paul go on, and they, they first go to this town called Pisidian Antioch, confusingly, another Antioch, and they preach there. If you read it, there's a long sermon that Paul gives. And lots of people become Christians, and then suddenly the authorities don't like what's going on. They drive them out. They go to a, another town, Iconium, and very similar thing happens. Paul goes to the synagogue, he preaches, lots of people become Christians, all great ministry, and then the leaders plot to kill him, and they get wind of it, and he goes off to Lystra, well, he doesn't go to the synagogue, probably because there wasn't one there. But he meets, as he preaches in the, uh, in the town, he sees a man who's been crippled from birth. And he looks at him. And as he looks, he can see that he has faith to believe. And he says, stand up. And he does. He stands up. He's healed completely. Walking jumping. He's just full of the healing of God. And everyone who's watching it 
He's amazed, of course, of course they're amazed. This is fantastic. And they say to themselves completely the wrong thing. They say, the gods have come down and have visited us. And they make, they decide that Barnabas is Zeus. I'm not quite sure what, why they got it this way around. The king of the gods is Barnabas and Paul was Hermes. They do give a reason why they said Paul was Hermes because he was the one who did all the talking. And I can believe that. And Paul and Barnabas have absolutely disgraced it. You know, absolutely appalled by all this. And they rip their clothes and they say, stop, stop. First, they don't understand what's going on because they're speaking a local dialect. But he stops it. And then they say, no, it's God who did this. And strangely, in spite of this and the miracle and the way that they explained it, people from these two other towns come down and turn the crowd against them and they actually stone Paul to the point where they give him up for dead and then leave him there. But Paul stands up, <laughs> he just gets up and walks back into the town and they go on to the next town, and the Derby and there they have a great time as well. But this is the point. may take a while to get here, but this is the point of this little journey. They say to each other, let's go back and encourage the churches. Let's go back and strengthen and encourage the churches. And they do. Now you might think, well, hang on. How many towns did you go to? How many of the towns did they try and kill you? And you're going back. But it's important to Paul and Barnabas to go back. They go back to Antioch. They tell the church what's happened. And then a controversy starts. Some people from Jerusalem, some Jews, say, they come and say, all the Gentiles must be circumcised. Obviously, they're male. Everyone must follow Jewish traditions. And there's a great controversy. And it's probably at this point, uh, this time, that something that Paul tells us about in Galatians happened. He says that we were all eating with the Gentiles when people came from Jerusalem and Peter and everyone stopped eating with the Gentiles and just ate with Jews only. And even Barnabas was led astray even Barnabas, I, you can almost feel his hurt that Barnabas failed in his principles at this point. You see, Barnabas was great. In Acts, it described him as a good man. It's the only person in Acts who is described as a good man. He said he was full of the Holy Spirit, and yet, like us, he was fallible. He let go on his principles. And worse was to come because this controversy was short, sorted out. They went down to Jerusalem. There was a conference. They decided, yes, what Paul and Barnabas had done with the Gentiles is absolutely right. Here's a letter to go off from the apostles. And they go back to Antioch and decide, well, let's go back and see all those towns that we, that we visited before. Barnabas wants to take Mark. Paul doesn't. He really strongly feels he doesn't want to take Mark. 
Mark deserted us. Mark let us down. I don't want to take him. And they have a great argument. It must have been quite intense because it's so intense that they separate. So Paul goes off to Sicilia and Barnabas takes Mark and goes to Cyprus. They just split. Actually, I love this about the Bible. Is It's very, very honest with us. It doesn't paper over the cracks. Here we are, these two people who just said that they were full of the Spirit, full of God and His grace. And yet they are having a great argument, so much so that they split apart. And this is true, even to this day, and you may well have experienced it or known it, that Christians can fall out really badly. I've known it in my life in some of the churches I've been in. They can split. It shouldn't happen, but it does. I love the way that John Stotts comments on this. He says, God often brings good things when these bad things happen out, out of the situation. And of course, you get two lots of evangelistic teams going out instead of one. But John Stott adds this comment, but it's no excuse. It is no excuse. When these things happen, they shouldn't happen. But God hasn't lost the plot. God is there. God can take us through. So what happened? Was that it? Well, actually, no. Because there are references elsewhere in the New Testament. I think this is where we do get some texts at. So Colossians 4 and verse 10 says, My fellow prayer Aristarchus, this is written, this letter to Colossians, years and years later. It says, My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greeting, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Mark's back. They may have fallen out, but somehow Mark is back. And in the very last letter that Paul ever wrote, 2 Timothy, Paul's at the very end of his life. He knows that he's going to die soon. He, will, he won't get away with this through a trial again. He's going to be condemned. And in 2 Timothy 4.11, he says, Only Luke is with me. Get Mark. And bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. There was some kind of reconciliation. Mark was given a second chance by Barnabas and he did make good. And are we people of the second chance? Do we, we all mess up? Do we allow other people to mess up and give them a second chance? I think Barnabas is far more than a historical figure. These verses, these stories, these incidents out of the book of Acts is a lesson to us. It's an, and it's a, a lesson about encouragement. Encouragement was vital to them. That's why they went back to those churches where they were threatened with death to encourage the churches. W encouragement is vital for us too. Last week, Ted spoke about Caleb encouraging the people. Maybe that didn't work so well. But I 
remember that Pete, Pete Bond got up and said, I want to be an encourager. I hope I'm quoting him right. I did write it down at the time. I want to be an encourager. I want to be an encourager too. It is so important. Did you know that in Romans 12, just a little bit on from what Steve just read, in, it talks about different gifts. We're one body and we each have different gifts. And one of them, guess what one of those gifts are? Verse 8, it says, If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. And, there, and there's a whole list of other gifts there too. It's a gift. And I believe there are people in this church who have the gift of encouragement, who are able to 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 get besides people to encourage both individuals and the church themselves they have that gift i'm not sure i claim to have the gift of encouragement i have to work at it i have to uh, think about it and do it i don't always notice things i should sometimes jenny points this out to me it is very good but i don't think i have a gift of encouragement but it's uh, interesting. It isn't just a gift for certain people. In, in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 11, I think, yes, it says this, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as in fact you are doing. Build one That's Steve talked about building and ripping a house down and building up again. You know, there's this concept in the New Testament, we don't just build buildings, we build one another up. We actually, like a, like a building, like a group of Christians, we, whether it's small groups or a church, we actually build one another up. We strengthen and build, we encourage. Hebrews 3 in verse 13, I think, says this, but encourage one another daily. Most of us don't see each other daily, but I mean, do it all the time. Encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be harmed by sin's deceitfulness. And finally, I think in Hebrews 10 and verse 25, it says this. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Did you come to church this morning to be encouraged? It is one of the reasons we should come. We come to worship, we come to praise, we come to be taught, but we also really should come to be encouraged. It's vital. How do we encourage each other? In many ways. Practically. By seeing the potential of other people. By allowing, like Barnabas, sometimes other people will develop more than we do. We need to accept that. We need to get alongside people. We need to understand where they are, what makes them tick, how we can encourage them. Some people we need to encourage in different ways. Some people, if you give them a load of verses from the Bible, it's the worst possible thing you could do. Some people, it's great. But we need to be discerning, to be diplomatic, to be understanding. And some of us I, may need to receive encouragement. 
Some of us won't be able to give it until we can receive it. But we all need to be encouraged. And I believe if this church is going to grow, if any church is going to grow, we need encouragement. We need to be people who increasingly encourage each other. And it's not just that we would grow in terms of numbers or whatever, but if we're going to grow as Christians, we all need encouragement. None of us stands on our own. There are always times when we go through things which are really hard. And even if we're not in hard times, we still need to be encouraged. What would encourage me? If all of us, including me, learned to encourage each other more and more. I was going to end this sermon saying, I think I have the mind of the Lord on this. And then I thought, that's far too soft, Martin. I'm sure this is what God wants for us. Amen.